Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Hopefully Sustainable. Two weeks ago, I released an episode focused on solar energy, and today I am going to be addressing another form of alternative energy, nuclear. I am speaking with Kayan Yao, who is a thermal hydraulics core engineer for Kairos Power. Kairos Power is an engineering company that was founded to accelerate the development of innovative nuclear technology. Going into this episode, other than the research that I did to prepare for my conversation with Kayan, I honestly did not know much about nuclear energy. So as you listen throughout the episode, I am learning right alongside all of you. As most of us know, nuclear energy is super complex and it's a very controversial topic amongst the scientific community, amongst elected officials, so I think this conversation is really important. We tend to think of the worst when we think of nuclear energy. There have been horrible results of nuclear energy in the past, such as Chernobyl and Fukushima, amongst many others. But after speaking with Kayen, I felt like she gave me a new perspective and made me feel hopeful about the future of nuclear energy. Kayen is going to explain the process of how nuclear fission actually creates power, and she's going to walk us through the pros and cons to nuclear energy. One really interesting part of the episode for me is when Kayen addresses some common misconceptions and issues around nuclear energy, such as waste and safety, amongst other issues. I feel like Kayan provides a very interesting perspective as someone who recently graduated and is a young female working in this field. While nuclear energy is controversial and many in the scientific community do not believe that we should even be focusing on nuclear energy, Currently, 20% of our electricity in the United States comes from nuclear energy. So I think it's really important to have conversations around this topic and to hear various perspectives. So I encourage you all to come into this episode with an open mind. I hope that you all can learn just as much as I learned from KN. And I really encourage everyone to go and do research after the episode to learn all of the various perspectives that are out there. So let's dive in. Today, I am joined by Kayan, who is going to teach us all about nuclear power. And to be completely honest, before this episode, this was a topic that I really wasn't super familiar with. So I'm really looking forward to learning all about the topic and just learning right along with all of the listeners. So, Kayen, can you please introduce yourself and tell us all about who you are? Hi, um, my name is Kayen Yao. I am a core thermohydraulics engineer working at Kairos Power at the moment. Um, Kairos Power is an engineering company located in Alameda, California, and we have a really strong mission, and that drives our entire work, um, our entire set of work, which is to enable the world's transition to 
clean energy with the ultimate goal of dramatically improving people's quality of life while protecting the environment. Um, so I feel like being on this podcast, I, I feel like the mission and this podcast's mission are fairly well aligned. So this is actually very exciting. Um, at Kairos Power, working on an advanced reactor concept, um, a fluoride salt cooled high temperature reactor to be specific, um, and the hopes to deliver a clean, cost competitive and safe energy solution. Um, just as a disclaimer, these are all my own opinions. I'm not um, providing any opinions or insights about Kairos Power's views in any way, just for the entire podcast, um, just so you know. But that's what I'm working on, and it's something that I feel very strongly about. Um, before that, I studied nuclear engineering at MIT, so I've been doing nuclear engineering for many years and something that I feel very passionate about. Wow. Well, obviously, you have to be incredibly smart, I imagine, to go into this field. So can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in pursuing a career in nuclear energy. And I know you just mentioned that you attended MIT. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your college experience and what your degree was in. Yeah, for sure. So I kind of knew right in the beginning of high school, actually, that I wanted to be a nuclear engineer. Wow. And so strangely enough, nuclear as a concept, like nuclear energy as a concept, entered my radar because of Fukushima. Like before that, I hadn't thought a single bit about where electricity came from. Like, I just didn't think about it at all. Um, yeah. But after Fukushima started entering into all of our news, I really got kind of curious of like, what is this? Like, what is this terrible thing that we've created? Um, I got really interested in it, did some research, and I found out that like, yeah, Fukushima was a terrible, terrible event. Um, but I also found out that like, at the same time, nuclear is a very robust form of green baseload energy. And this kind of was a perfect storm of me just like watching an inconvenient truth by Al Gore the year prior and getting really, really worried about our environment. And so like I, I put these two concepts together of like, this might be a solution for the issues that we're encountering with our changing environment. And yes, it has safety issues as we as I was clearly saying in the news at that time. And so like mm -hmm. I kind of simultaneously became committed with like to contribute to improving the safety factor of nuclear power systems. And it seemed like kind of a perfect storm for me. And so like after I kind of made that decision and, and the beginning of high school, I, I just pursued that. Um, and I applied to MIT, was very lucky to get in. And I was able to um, study nuclear engineering um, for my undergraduate and also my master's there. Um, during my master's, I focused more specifically on thermal hydraulics. And so that includes um, more specifically CFD. I was in a computational fluid dynamics lab. And that's where I was, which is like something that we apply to nuclear engineering fairly frequently to produce high fidelity answers about like flow characterization and heat up and stuff. And so yeah, that, that's where I am now. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's so interesting. And I feel like a lot of times people have no idea what they want to do when they get to college. So that's really amazing that you went in so focused and knew exactly what you wanted to do and have turned it into a career. That's really inspiring. And before we get into all of the information about nuclear energy, I wanted to start out on kind of a high level and ask you to start out generally. I know we hear a lot of times that using alternative energy sources such as wind, solar, nuclear are much better to use than the typical sources that we're using now from fossil fuels. So can you tell us what are the benefits of using alternative energy sources and why are we transitioning away from fossil fuels into these alternative energy sources? Yeah, so to start at like slightly even higher level, I feel the energy is really crucial for improving people's lives. Like studies have shown time and time again that energy usage is really highly or really closely linked to human quality of life and human wellness and development indices. And so getting energy and a lot of it for everyone is very imperative to just 
improving the quality of life. And then, so the question though, is then like, how do we do that for a growing population? Like that's putting more and more stresses on our environment, especially since a lot of our current electricity generating methods are harmful for our environment. And so therefore, like in my mind, alternative energy sources is the way that we do this. Because if we can avoid using methods for generating electricity that are harmful for our environment, that means we don't have to choose between like our planet and we don't have to choose between our, between our planet and human development. And mm. I just don't want to make that choice. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So for nuclear energy, when I was researching for this episode, I personally, which maybe this was just because I didn't know too much about nuclear energy, but I always thought that it was considered a renewable resource. But when I was researching, I saw that this is actually a point of contention and that some people believe that it is renewable and then other people say that it's a non-renewable resource. So from your research and time in this field, what are your thoughts on this? Is, is this an opinion-based question or is it based on fact? Yeah, so I would personally say it's technically not defined as a renewable resource. And this is because like to be a renewable resource, I, I believe, and this might just be my definition or it might be the official definition, but <laughs> I believe that the source needs to be able to be used repeatedly and be naturally replenished. And because nuclear uses fuel, um, in this case, it's specifically fissionable or fissile material. And once it undergoes a process, it can't be used again um, for producing electricity or producing energy. It's not therefore renewable. Mm -hmm. Um, However, it is really important to emphasize that this is a green energy source. So like renewable and green energy sources, they're different things. Um, So renewable means that we won't run out of whatever it is that we need to produce energy. But green energy means that like we're not releasing CO2 or other greenhouse gases that are harmful for our environment. Um, and so that's something that I really want to emphasize and something that might get misconstrued um, during this like debate of like renewable versus not renewable. So my stance is not renewable, but yes, green. Um, another really important thing to emphasize is that like, even though we're not a renewable resource, the fuel consumption is actually really, really low. Um, so I'll start throwing out some statistics, um, but one ton of nuclear fuel produces as much as two to three million tons of fossil fuel. So that's wow. a huge disparity. Um, that orders of mine two larger um, requirements on fossil fuels than there are for nuclear fuel. Um, another like little statistic that people love to throw around is that like one fuel pellet of which like, a nuclear reactor has like millions, um, is about like an half an inch tall and half an inch in diameter. Um, and that's equivalent to 149 gallons of oil, which is something else that's also really easy for us to picture. Um, so it doesn't use a lot of fuel. And in addition to that, there are also arguments about like, Will we run out of nuclear fuel anytime soon? Currently experts are hypothesizing that within like 260 years, we'll run out of fissionable material. In this case specifically, I'm talking about uranium-235. That's what's most common in fission reactors. Um, That value has stayed, it has oscillated back and forth throughout the years. Um, But frankly, this has been a debate that has started since the 60s. They thought it'd run out in like 100 years, for instance, but then they found more. Um, and as technology improves, we can continue to find more sources of uranium-235 um, and more creative sources. So for instance, one of the newest forms of trying to find uranium-235 is trying to extract it from seawater, which is something that they didn't know how to do wow. in the 60s. We currently don't fully know how to do it now, but like that's technology that we're developing and it seems to be a very viable solution to get a lot of it. Those are some really shocking statistics. And I think you make a really good point in that a lot of times I believe 
renewable energy is associated with being green energy or being the most sustainable. But just because nuclear isn't considered renewable doesn't mean that it's helpful in moving to be more sustainable and moving towards a cleaner energy source. So I think that's a really interesting point that you make. And obviously, our electricity in the US and around the world comes from many different sources that was definitely exemplified in all of the news that has been coming out of Texas recently. And I wanted to ask how much of our electricity in the U.S. is currently supplied by nuclear power? It's currently in the U.S. supplying 20% of electricity in the United States. Um, there are 94 operating reactors in the U.S. and it still reigns supreme actually as the highest provider of clean energy in the U.S. Wow, that's really interesting. So I want to get into some of the more specifics around nuclear energy and I know it's a very complex and complicated topic to understand, so I appreciate you breaking it down for all of the listeners, including myself, but in as layman terms as you can, can you explain how does nuclear power create energy? Okay, so I'll do my best. <laughs> you, should, you should interject if I'm getting too crazy. Um, so every atom is made up of neutrons and protons. We, we knew this in high school and chemistry class. Mm -hmm. And so these neutrons and protons are actually held together by something called binding energy. And so depending on the combination of like the neutrons and protons that are in an atom, that atom is more or less stable than other atoms. And so in nuclear energy systems, we basically take atoms who are what we consider unstable, um, where the initial state is not exactly optimal and it undergoes a certain process and after that certain process, the atom ends up in a more stable state. Um, like basically the neutrons and protons get rearranged and it ends up in a more stable state, therefore being able to release some of that energy. And this is the energy that we use to convert to electricity. And so I could be a little bit more specific. One of these processes is called fission. Um, and fission is where the atom splits into two fission products. Um, and so basically all we end up with is, well, first of all, we start out with a large atom, specifically U-235, I kind of name dropped it earlier, um, <laughs> or <laughs> there's talk about other like um, fissionable products, but this one's the one I'm just gonna stick with, for example. Okay. Um, as it undergoes a fission, it turns into two different fission products. And so basically those are just smaller um, isotopes in this case, or small, two smaller atoms in this case. Um, it also releases some energy, lots of energy, um, and also releases two to three neutrons. And so these extra neutrons are actually really important because these are what trigger the fissionable material to undergo this process in the first place. So like if we have a U-235 just sitting there by itself, like the chances of it spontaneously fissioning without interaction with another neutron are fairly low. However, if we can um, influence it with a, with a neutron, it will start to undergo fission at faster rates and also rates that we can control. Um, and therefore it's a process that suddenly becomes useful for putting in a fission reactor and generating electricity on a larger scale. So in a fission reactor, it really actually is just a game of like figuring out where the neutrons are and controlling where we want them to go and how much energy they have um, because that's what drives the chain reaction. Mm. And then another one of these processes is actually fusion. Um, and this is actually just the exact opposite of fission. So instead we have two smaller atoms in this case that we start with and it'd rather be an isotope that's actually, or like an atom that is quite larger. Um, and so when the two actually fuse together, it's a more stable configuration. And once again, binding energy is released. Um, this is a much more difficult process to trigger though. Um, there's really high activation energy to get these two atoms to fuse in the first place because the two initial states um, or the two initial um, atoms that fuse together are already stable. In fact, it's really just um, deuterium tritium, which are basically a hydrogen with an extra um, neutron and a hydrogen with two extra neutrons um, that fuse together. Okay, 
So is most of our nuclear energy coming from fission reactions then? Actually, all of it is. Um, we don't have a viable method of generating commercial scale levels of fusion energy right now. Okay. Is there a lot of research being done or do you think that's something that will happen in the next few years that we <laughs> will be able to get nuclear energy from fusion reactions or is that something that's still pretty way off in the future? There are, there's tons of research going on right now. We actually have a couple of demonstration fusion plants scattered around the world actually. Um, and they're, the process of getting to um, commercializable fusion um, is kind of a long road, to be honest. There's actually a, a running joke, and I think it's kind of a, a mean joke um, in our new industry <laughs> that like fusion is always 20 years away. Like no matter what year it is, it's always 20 years away. Mm. I think that that is finally changing um, and that that timeline is finally coming to an end um, because we, we have a couple of really cool demonstrations that are coming up soon. Um, so ones I want to specifically mention are at MIT, we actually had a fusion reactor. It closed down, I think, in the second year that I was there, but it was a tokamak reactor and it was able to sustain a plasma for a few seconds, I believe. Um, they're also building another fusion reactor at MIT right now. Um, and there's also, the one that's probably the most important is ITER. Um, I forget what it stands for, to be honest, um, but it is a collaboration between multiple countries where they're building a enormous fusion reactor um, in Europe. And this fusion reactor is hopefully going to prove a lot of the concepts that will help us start to understand like how to sustain fusion at larger scales and how to extract that energy for commercial use. I know that you probably deal with this a lot from working in the nuclear energy field, but it seems like there are a lot of misconceptions around nuclear energy or potentially issues that people find with this electricity source. So I wanted to address three of the main misconceptions or issues that I came across in my research for the episode. And the first one is waste. So can the used fuel be recycled or what is currently done with all of the waste that is generated from creating nuclear power? Yeah, for sure. So the nuclear fuel actually can be recycled in a way. We call it reprocessing. Um, and so once the fuel, it sits in a nuclear reactor for about like five to six years on average, our current, our current fission reactor concepts, it sits in there for about that time. And afterward, once the, fit, the fuel is taken out, it's not completely depleted. So all the useful, the useful atoms, the U-235s, um, for instance, <laughs> are not completely gone and it can be reprocessed out to extract more useful fuel. Um, that's a very common thing to do in France. Unfortunately, the U.S. doesn't support that at the moment. Um, this is mostly an economic decision rather than a technical decision, to be honest. Um, but worldwide, about 30% of the waste that is produced gets reprocessed. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then to answer your other question, or like the, the first part of the question about like, what do we do with our waste? Um, so this is actually one of the most complicated parts of nuclear engineering, I, I would mm. think. Um, so in fission systems, the waste that we're speaking of is like, the fission products that come from it. And these fission products are energetic. And so they do decay and release radioactivity. And so this is why it is a challenging topic. Um, so like I mentioned, it spends about, about five to six years inside of the reactor. And then as soon as we take it out of the reactor, it starts to spend time in a spent fuel, fuel pool. And so this spent fuel pool is literally nothing else except for the arrays of fuel submerged in water. That's that's all there really is in it. Um, and it spends about five years inside of this pool. This pool is located inside of the reactor building. And so this isn't something that 
a civilian, for instance, will have to have in their backyard. It, it's just inside of the reactor. Okay. Um, after that, they are moved to a dry cask and a dry cask is literally just like a really thick cement cask. And there's a couple other components in there to provide radiation shielding, um, which are again, located on the reactor site. So this is, these casks are basically moved out to outside of the reactor building, but still on the reactor site in the controlled zone. And unfortunately, this is where a solution comes to a halt. Like there's not actually a viable permanent disposal solution at the moment. Um, so there have been a couple of concepts that are being explored. The most popular concept is deep geological repositories. Um, and so basically that's digging a hole really deep down into the ground in a place where we don't expect a lot of seismic activity and we don't expect a lot of um, like underground water to interfere with the fuel that we're storing there, mm. putting it there and then filling it back up with like clay or dirt or something so that other people can't reach it. Um, one of the challenges with this though is picking an appropriate site. Like we have to consider both like the geologic factors, like I mentioned, as well as social factors. Um, we also need to figure out ways to monitor the waste and ways to make sure that people don't mess with the waste if they ever encountered it. Um, so that's something that is in development at the moment. Well, it's kind of exciting, I guess, to think about that there's all this research being done about it and that there could be a lot more information over the next few years that comes out about how to deal with the nuclear waste. And I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording and how you got interested in nuclear energy, which you talked about at the beginning of the episode. But it seems like the main issue I feel like that people have with nuclear energy is the safety component. Obviously, most people have heard of Chernobyl and Fukushima, like you mentioned. So how do you address or deal with people who believe that safety is a huge concern when it comes to this field? Yeah, this is kind of a multifaceted topic. So I'll try to um, hit each of my points um, as clearly as possible. Um, but nuclear is actually a highly, 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 highly regulated technology um, because we, as well as the government are fully aware of the consequences that come with, like if our system fails, like you mentioned with Chernobyl mm -hmm. and Fukushima. And so as a result, we are required to design to like the most stringent of requirements. Um, and that involves like predicting the behavior of the plant for every situation that we can possibly think of um, and designing defenses in response to that. And these defenses are always redundant and they're often passive. Um, and so I think this rigor is actually a really strong argument that nuclear is safe because of the attention that we pay to engineering these systems such that we can achieve the safety that we need to. Um, now the accidents that you mentioned, like these actually all contribute to this level of regulation as well. Like with each of these occurrences that happened in history, we learn so much from each of these events um, and it influences our design and our licensing requirements as a result. Um, and over the years from like 1960s, um, to now, like these requirements have become all the more stringent um, because we are learning from these accidents. Um, and so basically like we use the, every single one of these situations to try to reduce the probability that another one of these accidents will happen again and reduce the probability that like the environment or people will be harmed. Um, and so yeah, so I think that's one of the main contributing factors to our safety. And then now we can talk a little bit also about like what evidence shows. Um, so one of the things that people are worried about regarding the safety of nuclear reactors is being exposed to radiation by living near a nuclear reactor. Mm -hmm. And so there's been a lot of research done on this and statistics show that like, if you live next to a nuclear reactor, this is within like 15, I think this is within like five miles of the reactor, um, you'll be exposed to an estimated about 0.001 millisievert a year. And so a sievert is actually just a measure of dose that captures the amount of damage that is being incurred by a biological organism that interacts with radiation. So basically it's trying to convey how much damage goes to you. Um, so as a reminder, 0 0.001 millisieverts. 
Mm-hmm. And that's actually far less orders of magnitude less actually than like more what we consider benign tasks, such as like getting x-ray at the doctors, taking a flight, literally just existing. Um, so by just <laughs> existing, um, you're exposed to two millisieverts a year just by walking around because of cosmic radiation or having granite countertops or living with a place radon in the building. Like in comparison, this is 2000 times less living next to nuclear reactor than just kind of being around. So it really doesn't make a difference with regards to the amount of exposure that you have. And then another aspect of safety is the result of these nuclear accidents. And so if we look at the amount of deaths that are associated with each of the accidents that you mentioned before, granted, like no death in, in my mind is acceptable. However, like it's, it's something that comes with the territory of just being human. Like everything that we do has associated risk. Mm-hmm. Um, at Fukushima, there has been one death due to radiation exposure. There are many deaths associated with Fukushima, but that was mostly due to like the panic that ensued from having to evacuate the region. Um, and mm-hmm. that's something that I don't think that's something that is beholden specifically to nuclear. Um, it's kind of within the responsibility and within the powers of the people who are doing the evacuating, for instance. Um, and then the exposure to the people in the area around Fukushima um, when it occurred was fairly similar or like below rates of like your annual radiation level, just to background exposure, the, the, the value that I, I cited earlier. Now, Chernobyl was a much more serious accident. There was about 78 people who died in Chernobyl. Um, and this was a culmination of like very misguided judgments, um, both technically and also the response from the government and emergency um, response. Um, and like things have changed significantly since Chernobyl. It's a design that we don't build in the United States and we don't build anywhere else actually ever because we've learned so much from Chernobyl that this is not this is not something that we can sustain. Well, your answer really makes me feel a lot better. And Unfortunately, these two horrible events did happen, but at the same time, we've seen the absolute worst case scenario. And like you mentioned, now we have learned so much from that and can prepare for everything that went wrong in those scenarios. So that's one, I don't want to say positive of them happening, but at least now we can learn from those mistakes and not necessarily have to worry about those happening again. The third issue I guess that I learned about was that even especially amongst the Democratic candidates in this recent election, they were very divided over their stances on nuclear energy. And I learned that a lot of people don't believe that we should be focusing on nuclear energy since, like you mentioned, it is considered a non-renewable resource. So how do you respond to people who say we don't need nuclear energy, we shouldn't be focusing on that, we should only focus on maybe solar or wind energy because those are renewable. This is such a frustrating topic for me, actually. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I really feel like we need nuclear because like of all the renewable resources that we know right now or of all the clean energy resources that we know about now, this is the only source that we have within our reach, like within the foreseeable future that we can use to provide green baseload energy that is also location agnostic. So for instance, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but geothermal and hydro can only be in certain locations and so can solar wind. And then in addition, solar and wind are also extremely intermittent. Um, That's just kind of what comes with the territory of using these renewable resources. However, on the flip side, nuclear is robust and it's reliable and it doesn't matter where you put it. Like you can put this thing essentially anywhere, aside from places that have a lot of earthquakes, that's a a large safety issue. Um, But this is our one option that right now that we have to have baseload energy that is green. And so, and like, frankly, the, the state of where we are right now with our environmental crisis is like, we need to be acting now. And so we can't wait until the perfect solution exists 
aka a solution exists where we can suddenly scale up solar to the ability to provide for everyone. We have to we have to act now with the solutions that we have. Um, we can't wait for battery storage, for instance, or something more radical. Like we just gotta we gotta act now. Um, and like that's not saying that nuclear is the only solution. Like I, I don't think. Like even though I appreciate a little bit of geothermal and hydro, whatever, <laughs> like I really do think that these are also a very important part of establishing a sustainable energy profile. Like we we really do need to diversify our energy resources. Um, we're seeing that time and time again. You mentioned and you alluded to Texas recently, um, and that's kind of reinforcing that idea. Every summer in California, like we have a lot of strain um, with providing enough power during peak season because sometimes the renewables that they very highly rely on on the grid can't provide enough. Um, and so like the ultimate energy solution is not just nuclear. It can never be just nuclear. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like you mentioned, we need to be focusing on all of the different solutions because we're not going to solve the issues of climate change just by focusing on one specific issue. So it's really nice to know that there's people out there who are working on all of these different alternative energies. But like you mentioned, nuclear is important and we should be focusing on it because it really could help us get a long ways in the fight against climate change. To summarize all of the information that you just mentioned and taught us about nuclear energy, can you kind of summarize it in telling us the pros and cons of nuclear energy? So for pros, it's sustainable. Like we mentioned before, it doesn't emit CO2 and also uses very little fuel in comparison to other generation sources at the moment. Um, it provides reliable baseload energy. Um, it always runs, it runs 24 seven. It runs basically every single day of the year. The capacity factor for US plants is actually like in the mid to high 90s. Um, like, so basically what that means is that 90% of the days or over 90% of the days in the year are nuclear reactors running. The other couple of days are due to the, the moments where we have to refuel or do maintenance. Um, and that's far, far higher than like nearly any other sustainable energy source. Um, and we discussed earlier, I think it is safe. Like there's enough regulation and there's enough controls and enough people working on this problem to ensure that like the product that we are providing for you, this method of generating electricity is safe. Now on the flip side, the cons, it's actually very expensive to produce or to construct nuclear power plants. Um, this is overnight cost in like the billions of dollars. <laughs> this is not something you can do in your backyard, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> there's actually been a research string of reactors that are being constructed that are also experiencing cost overruns and delays for various reasons. Um, it turns out that these designs are bloated, there's licensing issues, they need a lot of specialized equipment and processes, and something that we're kind of struggling with right now. Um, our waste solution is not complete, um, and it's something that we definitely need to work a lot on. Um, and just like everything in the world, to be honest, but the consequences of the system malfunctioning can be very dire. Yeah, that reminds me, I know in Georgia, they are building a power plant here right now that has had a lot of delays and has been an issue or a point of contention amongst a lot of residents here who have been paying for it for so long. So that is an interesting point to bring up. Yes, Bogle. <laughs> oh no. Um, yeah, I don't, I, you should probably fact check on this, me on this, but I think like the cost is at 19 billion right now. And wow. I honestly do not know what's going on. I try to do some research, like look on news reports and stuff, but I haven't found a straight answer as to what exactly is going on there. Um, okay. but it's not great. So that's yeah. not, not, the case, not the case everywhere, <laughs> at least is a positive. Right. No, that. definitely not. No. Uh, one of the, the stars you should look at for trying to understand like a good paradigm for developing nuclear reactors 
on budget and on time is actually Korea. They've been doing an excellent job at this. Um, their safety is also superb. So they can do it. So I think we can too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, that's really interesting. So for any listeners who want to learn more about good examples, we need to look at Korea, it sounds like. To get into some of the more socially focused issues around nuclear energy, when you hear about landfills, you hear about them often being put into communities of color or low-income communities. It's the not-in-my-backyard phrase that you hear often. And I wanted to ask, is this an issue with nuclear power plants? And I know you hit on this a little bit with there not being major health concerns by being near a nuclear power plant, but does the communities that the nuclear power plants are being placed in, is there a focus on that or how does that get decided? Uh, that is actually something I'm not entirely sure of. Um, but one of the things I do want to mention and emphasize that like, is nuclear is a form of cheap, reliable baseload energy. And so like this can and has produced consistent sources of energy for people anywhere. Um, and like I mentioned before, like nuclear is location agnostic. So really you can build a nuclear power plant wherever you want to or wherever you have permission to. And so this can be communities of color and it can be communities of not color. Like it, it, it basically does not matter where you are. So I think that's kind of an important aspect. Um, this is not entirely the same thing as my racism, but this is something that I discovered recently. And like nuclear actually does have a very complicated history um, with racism in general, to be honest. So back in the 1940s and 1980s, there's a lot of uranium mining in Navajo Nation. Um, and so this had a huge detriment on the people who were living in that area. And more importantly, like really unsafe practices that resulted in the people of Navajo Nation and their land being contaminated were mm. be in use during that time. And it was just like complete negligence by the people who were running this like set of events. Um, even worse, the US government was not transparent about the brevity of the situation, like what the effects of radiation exposure were. Like a lot of these people did not know that radiation was harmful to their body to the extent that it is. Um, and still to this day, do not know that they were exposed to radiation levels as high as they were. Um, this behavior is like outrageous and it, it's unacceptable. And it's something I don't really have a good answer for, but it, it's something that we definitely need to be mindful of when we are sourcing our, our uranium or nuclear fuel as well as basically like anything with regards to operating nuclear is, is not be secretive and not try to um, take advantage of people in the area. So that's something that I, I did want to kind of briefly mention. And I'm not an expert in this, um, but it, it's something that came to my attention recently and something that like I definitely want to be more conscious of. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like that's something that you don't hear much of or that you don't hear spoken about often when it comes to nuclear energy. So it's definitely important to acknowledge the history of who was behind kind of the original movements of this in the U.S. and acknowledge the horrible treatment that they experienced to get us to where we are today. As everyone is aware, we recently elected a new president and as most people are also aware, the former president was not super progressive on a lot of environmental issues. And I know a lot of people are very excited and feeling very hopeful about the new administration when it comes to progressing these environmental issues and new legislation. So are you aware of anything in the Biden administration that is focused on nuclear energy? Is he willing to advance any legislation or promote nuclear energy? Uh, first and foremost, 
um, he has re-entered the Paris Agreement, which I think is an excellent start um, yes. for all of us. <laughs> um, and second, that like from his communications, it does seem that Biden does support youth energy and believe that it is necessary for achieving carbon neutrality in the near future. And he seems particularly on board also uh, as well with the safety, flexibility, and cost reduction promises that are associated with advanced reactors that are being developed right now. And so I think that was really promising because there are a lot of companies, such as the company I work for myself, Kairos Power, um, that are trying to pursue new technologies in advanced reactor space um, to try to address a lot of the issues that we were talking about earlier, like waste, safety, et cetera. Um, he is developing a new agency actually called ARPA-C. Um, so ARPA stands for the Advanced Research Projects Agency um, and C is for climate. And so this um, agency is specifically dedicated to finding climate solutions. So I don't know exactly how much that will influence nuclear because we also have ARPA-E, which is specifically guided to burns energy, but I feel like there's probably some overlap there. And like just the, the moves that he's done so far are indicative of his support in, in nuclear energy. Well, that's definitely something to look forward to over the next four years is seeing nuclear energy and all of these sustainability and climate change issues finally be prioritized. As a female in this industry, I can imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it is probably a male-dominated field. So I like to ask all of the women that I have on my podcast what their experience has been like as a female in the industry that they're working in. Um, you are definitely correct. At the moment, it is a fairly male-dominated field. Um, I've noticed this through like my entire career that it's not uncommon for me to be sitting in a room and be the only female in the room. However, I find that I've actually been very fortunate in this regard, actually. Like, um, it has never really bothered me. And I don't really feel its effects, for instance. Um, so I, I feel like I've had a number of wonderful like mentors and coworkers, classmates, et cetera, who have really helped me get to the place where I am today. And it, it, I've never felt like any mistreatment or any like different treatment because I am a female. And I don't think that means like everyone in the nuclear field out there is perfect. I think I've just been very lucky in the people I've encountered. Um, and I also think like, just for me mentioning before that like, I was the only female in the room a lot. It happens a lot, to be honest. Like, I think it's a sign that like there's a need for increasing diversity in our field. Um, and that will inevitably lead to positive things like new ways of thinking and solutions and interacting with each other. Well, I think when people see someone like you as a woman working in the field that they will be inspired and hopefully more and more women will be willing to join the field as well. Looking towards the future, what do you see as the future or the next few years in the nuclear energy field? I am very personally, very um, hopeful about nuclear, extremely optimistic, um, partially because I always see the strength of it. And like, I think like an intrinsically valuable technology will develop in a way that will become a part of society. Like, it's just kind of like, if you have this tool, like, why wouldn't you use it? Um, and I also feel like particularly optimistic right now because I feel like I get to play a part now actively and helping to shape it um, as an engineer working at an advanced nuclear reactor company. Um, and so the future of nuclear is actually really quite interesting. It's a departure from a lot of the pa previous paradigms that we, we've seen. Um, it's a departure from Plant Vogel, for instance, um, where previously nuclear meant really one thing, like very large, nearly gigawatt scale um, light water reactors that are giant pressurized vessels that come with their own set of safety issues or like not issues, but like difficulties to, to engineer around. Um, the future is like more safe, more efficient, more streamlined designs that come from like a number of different solutions, like including improvements in reactor control, 
designs with passive safety um, to make accident response easier, accident tolerant fuels, using non-pressurized um, containments, like a whole bunch of different solutions that people are working up to make the future of nuclear align also with like just where we're going as a society. Your passion is clearly evident and you have me feeling very excited and optimistic about the future. And <laughs> other than nuclear energy, obviously, as you just mentioned, you're super optimistic and hopeful about the future of the industry. But other than nuclear energy, I wanted to ask you what else you are hopeful about going through this new year. I'm really hopeful about young people, actually, like people our age and people who are like in high school and college right now. Like I've just noticed that when I interact with people in this demographic, like there's a huge awareness about what is going on in the world and like huge determination and like feeling a responsibility to solve big problems like climate change, like racial injustice, social and economic inequality. And like, I think that mindset is huge and it, it just kind of makes you feel like we're, it's inevitable that we're going to go in the right place because we're going to have all these players. We do have all these players that, that take these things very seriously and it gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, me too, for sure. Well, thank you so much for teaching us all about nuclear energy. I personally learned a lot. As I mentioned, I really didn't know that much coming into this episode other than from the research that I had done. And now I feel extremely hopeful about the future and really feel like we need to continue focusing and pushing forward nuclear energy. And I hope that we address a lot of the concerns or misconceptions that people have and that after listening to this episode, everyone will be just as excited as you are and just as hopeful as you are about the future. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. This was very fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.